Coming to you from the Forge of Freedom studio in the heart of America, a podcast dedicated to preserving freedom and inspiring personal success. Freedom is born and lives through you, the individual, and it dies in the shadows of tyranny. Motivating our listeners to become well-rounded, freedom-minded people with the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. The Tree of Liberty lives on through you, the Forge of Freedom. And now, here's your host, Alex Uli. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 78 of the Forge of Freedom. Today's episode is called Adderall Shortages, Lessons from Jillian Lynn, and a Call for Personalized Education. And as I was thinking about the topic for today, I came across an article by Carrie McDonald at fee.org. That's F-E-E dot O-R-G, which I've talked about on quite a few occasions on the podcast. That's the Foundation for Economic Education. And the article was written back in August of this year, and the article is called What the Back to School Adderall Shortage Really Tells Us. Standard schooling is the real problem. And so first I want to I'm going to share this article with you and then I'm going to share a story uh that I think illustrates uh, some of the points in this article. And so to get started here, um, we'll get into this article by Carrie McDonald once again that's uh Carrie McDonald at fee.org and I'll link to this in the show notes of course. What the back to school Adderall shortage really tells us. It's back to school season, and that's prompting concerns about further shortages of medications to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Last fall, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration declared a nationwide shortage of Adderall, a popular ADHD drug. That shortage is expected to worsen. According to CNBC, many children and young adults with ADHD often take the summer off medication and primarily rely on it during the school year. That could lead to even more demand in the months ahead that may not be met. Historically, prescriptions for ADHD medications increase as the school semester starts around the U.S. The CDC estimates that over 6 million children have been diagnosed with ADHD, and 60% of them are medicated for it. If many children don't need their ADHD medication during summertime and then resume the use of these powerful psychotropic drugs at the start of the school year, that should send alarm bells ringing. Schooling is the problem. Indeed, as Boston College psychology professor Dr. Peter Gray asserts, what does it mean to have ADHD? Basically, it means failure to adapt to the conditions of standard schooling. In his research of children diagnosed with ADHD who left a conventional classroom for homeschooling and related unconventional learning environments, Gray found that their ADHD characteristics and behaviors ceased to be problematic and that most children no longer needed to be medicated. This was particularly true if these children learned in more self-directed educational environments that intentionally avoided the trappings of traditional schooling. 
This topic is so important that I strongly recommend you listen to my podcast conversation today with Dal Doc Richardson, who founded Breakout School in Utah County, Utah, specifically for children with ADHD and related diagnoses. Richardson holds a doctorate in pharmacy and worked as a community pharmacist for 20 years before deciding to become an education entrepreneur. He was concerned about children, and especially boys with ADHD being unable to flourish in a conventional classroom. The families that come to breakout school, many of them are just at their wit's end, said Richardson. They find that this system has been trying to jam the square peg into that round hole and that they see that all they see are splinters occurring. Richards had founded uh, Breakout School in 2019 as an outdoor-based micro-school similar to a forest school model that provides ample opportunities for unfettered movement and play along with core academics. He has seen extraordinary results in his students, both academically and emotionally. From an economic perspective, we should be concerned about the shortage of Adderall which is likely due, at least in part, to various quotas imposed on manufacturers by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, that regulates narcotics and controlled substances like Adderall. These shortages would likely not exist in a free market devoid of government meddling. From an educational perspective, we should be even more concerned about the shortage of Adderall this back-to-school season. This signals that Adderall is being used to equip children to adapt to the conditions of standard schooling without questioning whether or not that's a desirable goal. As Richardson told me, these drugs do work. Kids will conform and perform. But at what cost? What are we taking away from them when we force them to comply with the standard schooling mold? I always trust parents first and back them in their decisions regarding what is right for their children. But I hope that more parents who may have children with ADHD characteristics consider that standard schooling may be the real problem. Fortunately, There are now so many more schooling alternatives for these parents to explore, including Breakout School, which is a recognized low-cost private school in Utah that participates in several Utah school choice programs, including the new Utah Fits All Scholarship. This recently passed Universal Education uh, Savings Account uh, program provides each K-12 child in Utah with access to about $8,000 per year to use toward approved educational expenses, including micro-schools like Breakout School, whose tuition hovers right around that ESA amount. Today, more children have access to standard schooling substitutes than ever before. Several years ago, I wrote about how Thomas Edison would have given, been given Adderall today. When he was eight years old, his teacher called him addled. And by all accounts, he was unable to adapt to the conditions of standard school. His mother found the addled label to be unacceptable. She removed young Thomas from school after only a few weeks 
and homeschooled him from then on using a largely self-directed approach. She understood me. She let me follow my bent, Edison recalled. Years later, as Edison was securing his place as one of America's greatest inventors with more than 1,000 U.S. patents, including for the phonograph, the motion picture camera, and the incandescent light bulb, a chemist working in his massive New Jersey laboratory said, had Edison been formally schooled, he might not have had the audacity to create such impossible things. Today, as millions of children return to school and some return to potent medications, it's worth asking, is standard schooling really worth it? Or is there something better that will allow each child to follow his or her own bent and create those impossible things? I heard this, uh, I read this article rather somewhat contemporaneously with a story that I'd heard from a TED Talk. As a matter of fact, it was a TED Talk from TED Radio Hour, and it was a story uh, by, by Ken Robinson about Jillian Lynn. Because I think that as the, the fee article by Carrie McDonald mentions, there are millions of children and, and parents with children who suffer from these ADHD tendencies and medicate them to force them through the mold of government school. And I wanted to share this story from this TED Talk uh, as well, because I, help, I think it helps illustrate the problem with, uh, one of the major problems at least, with government schools. Uh, and like I said, this was on TED Radio Hour. And Jillian, uh, Jillian Lynn is Broadway royalty, having choreographed Cats and, and Phantom of the Opera, two of the most well-known musicals. But uh, Jillian's early life uh, contains a valuable lesson about creativity. Uh, when she was in school, Jillian was, was really hopeless. Uh, her mom, when Jillian was about seven years old, uh, would take her to the doctor because she, she was at the end of her tether, uh, much like the uh, the illustration from the fee article, that at wit's end, at the end of her tether. In the school in the 1930s, uh, wrote Jillian's parents saying that they thought Jillian had a learning disorder. Her attention span was very bad. She couldn't stop moving, and she was called Wriggle Bottom. Uh, I think like Thomas Edison, uh, she would have been called adult. But in this particular case, she was called Wriggle Bottom. I think now, uh, in a government school, they'd say she had ADHD. And she, her parents would be encouraged to medicate her with a powerful, powerful drug. Uh, but of course, ADHD hadn't been invented by then, and uh, there was no such thing as a, a attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, at least it, not as a diagnosis. So she went to see a specialist, and, and they met in an oak-paneled room, uh, and she was there with her mother, and she sat on her hands for 20 minutes. 
While the specialist, the doctor, talked to her mother about the problems Jillian was having at school. And the specialist, he was an astute man, and, and he noticed that Jillian was trying to take in 98 things, when in fact there were only 50 to take in. And, and the doctor went and sat next to Jillian and said, Jillian, I've listened to all these things that your mother's told me. I need to speak to her privately. He said, wait here. We won't be long. The doctor and, and Jillian's mother left her. Uh, but as they left the room, the doctor turned on the radio that was sitting on the desk. And when they got out of the room, he said to Jillian's mother, just stand and watch. And the minute they'd gone, Jillian leaped up. She leaped on the desk. She leaped off the desk. She danced all around the room. Jillian had the most fabulous time. The doctor and Jillian's mother watched for a few minutes, and the doctor turned to her mother and said, There is nothing wrong with your child. She's a born dancer. Take her to dance school. So she did. Jillian recounts that she owes this doctor her whole career, her whole life, really. And when Jillian arrived at dance school, she says it was wonderful. It was full of people like her, people who couldn't sit still, people who had to move to think. She had a wonderful career. She graduated from the Royal Ballet School and met Andrew Lloyd Webber, and she's responsible for some of the most successful theater productions in history. She's given pleasure to millions, and she's a multimillionaire. Someone else might have put her on medication and told her to calm down. I get goosebumps every time I hear this story. And it makes me think of a recent conversation I had with Matthew Duffy on the podcast. Uh, of course, Matthew Duffy is a dog trainer. And as we were talking about dog training, he said that each dog has specific tendencies and specific God-given tools in their toolbox. And his job as a dog trainer and our job as parents is to find what tools are there and to cultivate those tools and to teach the child to develop and fully express those tools in a positive way. We can't add tools, and it's unfair to ask a dog like a husky to herd chickens, just as it is unfair to ask a girl who thinks with her feet to sit in a classroom for days and years on end. Think about how many children are sitting in a classroom today around this country with tools in their toolbox that are not being utilized because they are forced to go through the one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter government school. They are medicated, taught to believe that they are less than because they don't do well on tests, and they carry that stigma for a lifetime, never realizing their full potential. Now, we don't know what the future holds, and at some point our children will carry on this world in this world without us, and they must be prepared for what the future holds. And passing them through the one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter government schools does not achieve that. 
Think about the common experience for most people going through a government school. Hours, days, wasted, waiting for it to be over. Hundreds, thousands of mindless tasks. Hours, days, years of being told what to do and what to think. No agency, no leadership, very little self-development. And at the end, if you're lucky, you've not been bullied, you've not lost your hope, your drive, your character, your sense of wonder and curiosity, yet you still likely lack direction. And you have a sense that now life begins. I waited, I put in my time, much like a prisoner in jail. Now it's time for life to get started. That's not what our children need. They need creative outlets. They need to maintain and build their sense of wonder. They need to ask questions and take risks. They need the ability to try and fail and regroup and try again. We need children who are equipped for life from the ground up, not just the test-taking part of their brain to regurgitate mostly useless information. We need children of character that can face the future, and that starts at home. That is the parents' responsibility. The government schools cannot and will not do this. That may seem daunting, but as Plutarch a Greek philosopher and biographer once wrote, for the mind does not require filling like a bottle, but rather like wood, it only requires kindling to create in it an impulse to think independently and an ardent desire for the truth. So it's our job as parents to ignite the fire, unleash the creative wonder that children naturally possess and channel their energy in a positive way. That is the path to a better world, a more prosperous world, a happier world, a freer world, and a less medicated world. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed these two stories, uh, the article from Carrie McDonald at fee.org, along with the, the story about Thomas Edison, and then also the, the story about Jillian Lynn. I think that people are often concerned about homeschooling or, or alternative schools. Uh, primarily, one of the main objections is about socialization. I don't want to get into that in this episode here today. I talked about that a little bit in my episode with uh, Jonathan and Adriana Prescott about their book, um, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes and I'm going to have them on the show again, actually here, uh, again in December about the entrepreneurial aspect of homeschooling. But I think that the point of all of this is that the education of each child is unique to that child and forcing them through a system that's one size fits all is really a system that's not tailored for anyone, for any child. And it's a huge undertaking. It's a huge risk to give up income, potentially, to, uh, you know, pay for 
homeschooling. But those are, are hurdles that are worth the cost because it's not just the child's education. It's, it's their life that's at stake. It's their future that's at stake. It's a multi-generational investment because the impact on them will have impact on their children and for generations to come. So the up the upfront investment may seem large at first, but it's really an investment that we can't afford not to take. So with that, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you did, don't forget to like and subscribe to help us spread the message of freedom. And until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Forge of Freedom. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Alex, you can go to forgeoffreedom.com or follow him on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.